the very end of the passage that Elena read to us from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, all are made to drink of one spirit. All are made to drink of one spirit. And it's interesting because this is just one of the many places in scripture where the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is referred to with a metaphor or an analogy that connects the spirit with drinking. Um, which is interesting because then, of course, on the day of Pentecost, Peter has to get up and say, no, these men are not drunk. They've not been drinking alcohol. They've been, they're, they're, they're drunk in the spirit, so to speak. They are filled over to flow with the, with the Holy Spirit. Drinking is so basic to human existence. I am told that children, infants, learn to drink. It's one of the very first things that they learn to do developmentally. So um, we're going to become experts on what infants do because Jody and I found out that we're having a third grandchild, another boy. We're building a little boy. I don't know. I don't know what we're going to call them. You have to be so careful about what word to say next, but... A, a, a gaggle of boys, I guess you'd say. So we'll, we'll give you more feedback, but it's, it seems pretty intuitive to me that, that drinking comes very, very early on in the life. And I find this in my pastoral ministry. When I, when I go to the hospital, sometimes, you know, and just for you, those of you who are lay leaders or, or, or deacons to be in the church, remember this as you go to the hospital room. Sometimes the, the best pastoral thing you can do is simply to help the person that you're visiting take a sip of water. I visited our dear um, Walter Crosby a couple of days ago on Friday afternoon, and, and, I, and I took a cup of water, and he said, oh, thank you. That was the, that's what I needed. I needed that drink of water. We all know that sensation, and we know how important it is. If you're, a, if you're an infant or if you're, you're in your 90s, you know how important drinking is to our very existence. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 5, talking about the spirit and using a metaphor of drinking. He says, do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled, be continuously overflowing. And that idea is throughout the whole New Testament. And even in the Old Testament, the spirit is alluded to at places, like for instance, Ezekiel, to this idea of water, of flowing water, or Joel, and other places in the prophets of the Old Testament, the Spirit is poured out. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. Even the word baptize, you know, in the original, the pre-biblical idea of baptism had nothing to do with the sacrament, but had to do with simply being immersed to be overwhelmed with water so that you could say in the ancient Greek world that if a ship was baptized, that meant it was sunk. It was, it was completely overwhelmed with water. Water is so important to our life and Paul uses it and the other New Testament writers use it to express this idea that, that the spirit is to be poured out where to be filled like with water by the Holy Spirit. Paul assumes that we understand in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that the Holy Spirit is the person of the spirit, that, that it's the, it's, he doesn't say the third person of the Trinity, but it's implied there. If you look at verses four through six, he talks about there's one spirit, one Lord, and one God, verses four, five, and six. 
And Michael's going to share with us next week all about the Trinity because he's got the sermon for Trinity Sunday. But, but just to, you know, just kind of give you a little, a little tea up there, Michael. There's the, there's the Trinity expressed right there in Scripture. And, and, uh, and it's over and over again we see the Trinity expressed. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul assumes we understand who the Spirit is, the Holy Spirit, and jumps right into the idea of being manifest with the Spirit. To be, if you will, infilled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is present throughout scriptures. From the beginning, Genesis 1, you have this, uh, the, the Spirit of God hovering over creation and is a part of creation. And, and yet the Spirit is, is given at particular times to particular people for a particular task. The uniqueness of the day of Pentecost is that unlike those times, now the Lord is pouring out the Spirit on all believers. Now the church split early in the history, west and east, over this, what they call the, the phililoquy uh, phrase, you know. Did the Father send the Spirit? Is the, does the Father give the Spirit or is it the Father and the Son? And so it's actually an option in our in our creed. Well, I think the, it, the scripture seems to say the Father is the one who gives the Spirit, but it's only, he only gives it because, the, because Jesus, the Son, asked him to. That's why Jesus says in John 14, I will ask the Father and he will give you a never comfort. See, if they just had me back then, I could have explained the whole thing out. And there wouldn't have been this terrible split between the East and West Church. You know, Christians, we'd probably have found something else to split about. But anyway, I'm, I'm joking, of course. It's considered much more theologically astute people would explain it much more obtusely and obscurely and confused us all royally. So let me just say that, right? Let's don't fight over, is the Father send the Spirit or the, or the Son send the Spirit or both? But the Spirit is sent... And it's on that day, if you, if you think about it again as a metaphor, it's as if the, the, the Holy Spirit just pours out on all believers. Which is probably why it's so dramatic. You've got the wind and you've got the fire. You've got, you've got the speaking in tongues and people are understanding in their own languages. They're coming from all over the known world and they are able to understand What's being said? I actually had this experience to me when I when I took. Where's Jose? Jose's leading music this morning. Jose and Adrian went with me to. Yes, I took Adrian Boada to Mexico. That's probably one of the greatest moments of my ministry. If you know Adrian, she doesn't like to go to camp, let alone to Mexico. But we went to Nuevo Laredo and we did ministry there. And we were being prayed over, and we were praying for the Mexican team we were working alongside. And I began to pray, and. The guy turned to me that was praying over me. He goes, you speak Spanish? And I go, no. And he goes, I was understanding what you were saying. You were praying over me and I could understand in Spanish. And it, it, only time it's ever happened to me. But I, so I have this little bit of a personal experience of this moment. But, it, but it's the, the, what we're to take away is that this was, a, this was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Gallons and gallons of Holy Spirit poured out over all believers. Again, using that sense of metaphor even in the book of Acts, let alone in the New Testament, 
This experience is unique, so we shouldn't expect that when the Spirit comes upon us that we'll necessarily see tongues of fire or hear something that sounds like a, a, a mighty wind or even that we'll be able to pray in, in other languages. It, it's, it's, it's because of the moment and the importance of this, the Spirit being so broadly poured out that it's noted in such a dramatic way. So the problem is not that the Spirit has not been freely given. It's that we have to continually be receiving him and taking him in. Much like the problem with water, if you, no matter how much water I drink today, I will have to drink again tomorrow. There's no doubt about it. I can't, I can't, I'm not a camel. I can't fill up with enough water to allow me to go forever without water, I'll be thirsty again. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. And I think that sometimes is what's hard for us as believers to understand. We, we, Paul is, is not saying that we've not been given the Holy Spirit. We have. At baptism, we've been given the Spirit. If you are a, a, a son or daughter of God, you have been given the, the Holy Spirit. And yet, we need to be continually filled with the Spirit of God. This is in no way in contrast. Jesus says to the woman at the well, I have water to give that you'll never thirst again. I don't think Jesus is saying it's a one-time shot. I think he's saying it's an abundant supply, an endless abundant supply of this water. This, and of course, he's using that metaphor for eternal life, this life that God gives us, this Zoe life that comes within us, that, that breathes, that makes us a new creation in Christ, and that we are continually have the, the life of the Spirit, the, the Spirit's power being poured into us continually. Jesus refers to this Holy Spirit in John's gospel, particularly as the, the paraclete, the other helper. He uses that word for himself and the paraclete. So whatever the Holy Spirit is, Jesus and the Holy Spirit are equal, just as Jesus says that he and the Father are equal. Again, you're welcome for setting up all this information for Trinity Sunday next week. But it's this idea that the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, he comes to teach us, he comes to reveal, he comes to empower us with gifts for ministry in various services and in a variety of settings. The Spirit is our empowerment for ministry. And yet, Paul makes it really clear, especially in the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, that it is possible to be a Christian and yet not be spirit-filled. Not that you don't have the spirit, but that you're not filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. If you want to take a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says... You, you Corinthians, you think you're so mature. <laughs> you think you're super disciples, and yet you're mere babes in the faith. I would that I could have spoken spiritually mature things. This is the version by Alex, by the way. You've spoken mature things, but all you can receive is milk because you're babes in Christ. Paul was saying that you're, you're walking in the flesh. You're what, the, what we, hear, we hear in the scriptures and some versions, carnal Christians rather than being spirit-filled Christians. And so Paul is saying it's possible to be a Christian and yet not be filled with the Holy Spirit. Years ago, uh, um, uh, a great 
biblical preacher and teacher by the name of Earl Sanderford said something really profound. He said, he said, I don't trust you or me five minutes away from the word of God. And I mean, it's, it, I, you, mm, you, hear, you know, it's like, it's just kind of, it's like, yeah, you know, and it's that recognition that, that we are capable as Christians from getting, if we get away from the word of God, we're capable of getting far away from God's will. And it's stuck with me all these years ago. But it occurs to me that in the same sense, I don't trust myself or you five minutes away from being infilled by the Holy Spirit. You see, if, if, if I'm not asking the Holy Spirit to fill me, if I'm not living a Spirit-filled Christian life, then I'm likely to also be away from the will of God and capable of doing things that we all shake our heads at and go, he says he's a Christian, and yet look at the way he's acting. Because in that moment, we are not walking in the Spirit. We're not asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us. Paul talks more, and this is kind of an overview of the book of 1 Corinthians, but Paul talks more and more about the, the fact that these Corinthians, even though they have these spiritual signs, they speak in tongues, and, and they, they have experiences that talk about sort of, you know, heavenly experiences and stuff, Paul says, you're not living a spirit-filled life. You're living a carnal life, a fleshly life. Why, Paul? Well, because he says you're not living a life of love for one another. There's not a unity in the body. If you know anything about the Corinthians, those who are wealthy would, 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 would you know, feed themselves, you know, basically gorge themselves. And then those who are poor in the community would have nothing to, to share in the, in the Holy Eucharist. And so, I mean, it's probably when we went from a love feast of communion to just a little bit of bread and wine because we had to sort of minimalize it because there was these abuses that were going on in the early church. Paul says, that's not, that's not love. You're not being motivated by love. You're not, there's not a sense of unity. You're not desiring to be together. You're not walking in humility that leads to service to one and all. There, there's divisions among you. There's fighting among you. You're, you're not walking a spirit-filled life. And Although it's not water, it's milk, but notice that again, Paul uses an analogy of, of us drinking something to say, you know, with, with regard to this idea of the spirit. I know it's a little different, but it kind of fits in a little bit, so I had to mention that. So. It's not by coincidence that in Corinthians chapter 12, which is our scripture this day, and chapter 14, which both deal with the Holy Spirit and gifts of the spirit and, and abuses of those gifts, Right smack in the middle is chapter 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a, I'm a gonging symbol. I'm just a clanging symbol. Remember the old gong show back in the 80s, you know? Terrible show. But if you were bad, they like hit the gong. You're just a, I'm just a, just a clanging gong if I don't have love. The life that's spirit-filled manifests in love. Love for one another. The very things that we've been talking about as we've been looking at the gospel passages over the last few weeks, Paul says here that, that it's, it's when we, if we sense that we're not 
expressing that love, it's because we're not asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Love for one another and for God is evidence of the Spirit-filled life. So you may be saying, you know, I, I, I believe that Jesus lived a perfect life, died a perfect death on the cross, was raised from the dead, ascended back to heaven. I, I believe God, this Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I'm, I'm just not living a life, a, a, a life of peace and joy, and, and I'm, I'm struggling to know what the will of the Lord is. The problem is likely that you're not living a Spirit-filled life, that you're not asking the Holy Spirit to empower you for the work and the life you desire to live. So the question today is, are you, am I this morning, a spirit-filled Christian? Someone was texting their answer just now. Do we recognize the need constantly to be filled up with the Holy Spirit? It's as basic, it's as, basic as drinking water. I mean, isn't it interesting to me, like, I'm not a chemistry person. I don't claim to be a chemistry person. But even I know H2O is the chemical compound for water. That's how essential it is to our lives. Everybody knows H2O, right? You can put it on a sign. It's, it's at the golf course. H2O is 173 yards. Hole number, I don't know, 14 or something. 12, thank you. It's, it's so basic, it's so important to our lives that, that, that we all know the, the chemical compound for, for water. Paul says the same way, asking to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit is essential to the life of a Christian. The Holy Spirit longs to give, longs to give gifts, to produce fruit in our lives, the fruit of the Spirit, which we can't talk about now, but go over to Galatians and read about the, the fruit of the Spirit. But we have to submit to this infilling, and it's not a one and done. It's a constant refilling, which is why I begin the sermon by saying, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts and minds of your faithful people. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be accepted in your sight. I need to constantly be asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit before I dare to open my mouth and bring forth to you the word of God. And so we should see our need to ask the Spirit to fill us. Jody and I are a week away from the third of our children getting married and final of our children being married. And it is extremely stressful. I know, wedding industrial complex and all that stuff, we've been pretty good about budgets, but it's just overwhelming. But when I look at my Samantha, it's all worth it. Every dollar, every decision, every, everything, it's worth it. Because I love her so much. And I want to bless her and Jacob as they begin their life together. And so I, I, I'm spending all this money and time and energy. 
and stressing out my wife and her and me because we love our daughter and her fiance. Some of you are in that in the same place. In Luke's gospel, Jesus says, you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your kids. Luke chapter 11. You who are evil, you who are imperfect, you who are, yeah, have a lot going on wrong with you, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your Father in heaven, how much more will he give you the gift of the Holy Spirit if you ask? So Pentecost is again a reminder to us that we are in desperate need of the power of the Holy Spirit. So what's the application? Ask and you shall receive. Knock and the door shall be open. Acknowledge your thirst. Acknowledge that you're trying to live this Christian life under your own power and that it is impossible to do. Confess the things that you're, you have a tendency to, to fill yourself with to fill up, to try to satisfy your life with that you know are ultimately not satisfying. Have you ever been so thirsty and, and you kept eating because you thought you were hungry and you weren't hungry, you were thirsty and then you finally it's like, oh, I need water. Oh, duh. And then you drink a bunch of water and all of a sudden you're satisfied. We have to come to our, in our lives to a place where we go, you know what, Lord, I've been filling myself up. It's no wonder I'm not living a spirit-filled life. I'm spending all my time and energy on these other things thinking they'll satisfy me, thinking they'll fill me up, and they don't. And then know that it's a work of grace in our lives. God pours his spirit upon us graciously. Be patient with yourself as, as he continues to, to fill you, to, to, to grow you in the Holy Spirit, to teach you I believe just as a human body grows and we have a greater capacity to take in for instance water so it is in our spiritual lives that as we as we grow as we submit ourselves to the Holy Spirit we grow in 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 the spirit-filled life and so I think that when you get to the deacons in chapter 7 and they're they're filled with the Holy Spirit these are people who have allowed over a period of time for the spirit to begin his to do his work in us And then ask. Did I mention that we have to ask? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that you've not left us as orphans, that you, you love us and that you have given us all that we need in the other paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Lord, Father, I pray that we would we'd grow in awareness of our need and that we would come to you, Lord, and simply ask to be filled by your spirit. Teach us what it means to walk in the spirit. Teach us what it means to wait on the Holy Spirit and to not want to grieve the Holy Spirit. Where all these ways that, that the biblical writers teach us to become more discerning of the work of the Spirit in our lives. Father, may you fill us to overflowing that we may do the good works you've given us to do.
and we will give you all the honor and glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.